Hello dear audience and welcome once again to the podcast. For today's show, we have a compelling example of the exploration of common grounds between art and science. Cloud Magazine got the chance to talk to musician Robo Lipok and video artist and live performer Lilevan during the 2016 edition of On Sound Festival in Krakow. There, they were presenting Glacier Music along with Kiji musician Askat Jetijen. Retreating glaciers, rising sea levels and shrinking lakes are some of the consequences of rising temperatures and changes in weather patterns. This is particularly important for the people in Central Asia whose water supplies depend on the region's glaciers. Glacier Music is a dislocated audiovisual performance that blends art, science and folklore, and it uses the sounds and images of Central Asia's melting glaciers as a source of inspiration to raise awareness of the deterioration of the planet, the climate change and environmental problems. Robert Lipok is an avant-garde German visual artist and composer that has been an influential player in Berlin's thriving experimental music scene from a very early age, with bands like the Rococo Road, for which he is best known. And Lilleban, who was a founding member of the visual and music group Regisentrum, and has performed and collaborated with many artists like Christian Fenes and Vladislav Delay. We talked with them about the inspiration behind Glacier Music, how the expedition to Central Asia was, their experiences during the project, and new ideas about what this location is, isolation, solitude, and loneliness. Quite simply, it started by accident. I was invited to Kazakhstan for a single performance or installation. They didn't know exactly what they wanted, so I flew out and I met them. And it was supposed to be about glaciers, it was very vague. And we decided to make a larger festival from this. And I became an artistic director of a festival for the first time in my life in Central Asia. And it was in four countries, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. And it was supposed to be about glaciers, but nobody really knew what they wanted to do. So I thought, let's do some research, and I researched the situation, political, historical, and scientific, in my qualities, I'm not a scientist. Um, interestingly, the glacier in Kazakhstan is the most studied glacier in the world. The Soviets were collecting data about it since the 1940s, which means that you can actually observe what it means that a glacier is melting and retracting and getting smaller. So there was an idea for that. And also the city of Almaty at the foot of this glacier was basically built and designed so that the cooling air from the glacier came down and cooled it in, in the summer. And I found these kind of interactions between how humans had designed the city, the glacier, but also how through their, let's say, nouveau riche behavior, because now Kazakhstan is quite rich, everybody has an SUV, and they're pumping out <laughs> all this stuff, so they're actually also destroying their own glacier, and they're destroying their own habitat. So in one little area, it became like quite metaphorical for what's happening on the planet. And from this small festival that we planned for a few weeks, it grew into like a many year festival in three, four countries and with many artists coming from Germany and stuff and in the end we decided let's try to get the essence of this festival and make a concert and a CD. And for this I invited my colleague and friend Robert to join me and brought him together with a musician from 
Kyrgyzstan, whom I had met and, and admire and respect greatly, and who also I thought they would both be open in their way to deal with each other, and not just coming closed with, this is my music, you have to deal with it, or the other way around, but they would come with open heart and mind to create a new music. And it was important for me that it wasn't one was dominant over the other, mm -hmm. that both traditions, politics, styles, people, as far as possible, are treated equally and treat each other equally. And I'm very lucky and happy to say that they made me very happy with what they created with this. And now we've released a CD and a tour. Well, you both have very like long and diverse careers in like audio and, and visual arts. But what's your main artistic focus at the moment? It's uh, it's hard to say. I've uh, I, I'm thinking actually a lot about that, and uh, because I uh, I come from uh, I have no education in music. I have no education in art. I I studied stage design for one year, but then I quit art school. I don't know why, but some somehow it's uh, trying to be an an amateur for my whole life <laughs> uh, uh, because this. Uh, the word amateur has amore in it, and uh, uh, trying to uh, trying to see things from from a loving point of view, but also from a naive point of view, where you have to where you have to find your uh, your your own way and make your not make your own science, but make your own uh, your own methods mm -hmm. to to uh, to get to uh, get to the point and get to the Get to the topic, and I see my work very much from from a naive point of view. I, I would say I, I'm I'm more influenced by uh, uh, the painter Rousseau and uh, and uh, Art Brut than 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 from other stuff. I see this like I really like this like direct uh, uh, this uh, direct reaction to things and. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm. I I often don't study things in detail. I uh -huh. really like this this childish, uh, or this mm -hmm. child childish na na naivety. I I uh, look for these moments where things are really like catching you. It's a bit like mm -hmm. being a child or being a teenager mm -hmm. when when you hear. Something for the first time, or when you when you when when you first time uh, in the city, and I really like this moment where you actually can grab things you can't grab uh, when you more involved in, in in something. So I really like this this moment where where uh, this first moment where you see things or where you're listening things uh, uh, differently because you it's your very first hour. Uh, somewhere or it's your very f uh, first day in a new country and i really try to not I actually i'm i'm not anti-science in my in my approach to uh, to, uh, to uh, in my creative work but i try to keep things very mm -hmm. simple it's it's sort of a game because we we belong uh, on science the the technologies mm -hmm. we use are made of science made of uh, explorations in in physics and mm -hmm. and electronics and, and stuff so like uh, saying i'm not i have nothing to do with that it's it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> sort of an ignorant uh, ignorant position mm -hmm. i would say
the things that I do, if I try to look back, and I, I turned 50 last year, so I think, okay, interesting to look back. Um, I have difficulty finding the difference between art and science, the way that I define both of them. That I don't, the way you describe science, having to do the same experiment over and over again to see that we get the result, of course, that's not interesting for me. Mm -hmm. But the childish aspect to see how does something work? That's been there from the beginning with me when as a child I took apart radios to now when I go to Kyrgyzstan and think like, how does this work, this society? Today we had this little discussion about gender or something. Mm -hmm. and you know, How does this whole country work? And then of course you start thinking, well, how does my country work? And how do my relationships work? And how am I making art? And the more that you travel, of course, this can open your eyes. I think if you are, I would say a bit like Robert or me, that we like to go somewhere with open eyes and not just to present our work that we made in a studio in Berlin, but to go and then you find the concert in the evening is influenced by things that you saw on your very first day in China or in Kyrgyzstan. And I've always been just fascinated how do things work. And I think the older I get, the more I get to the point of accepting that I understand less than I thought I did. That we thought at some point, maybe 20 years ago, oh, the world is going in a direction, it's going okay. And then, and then suddenly now, especially in this year, we have these various things and they influence me as well in my work. I mean, mm -hmm. you don't see it today in the video, you don't see Brexit or Trump or something like that. But of course, it's in my soul, it's in my heart. I think like, the world is really changing. And maybe there were many things I didn't understand that were happening. So if I look at the American election, the things I don't understand, but also in a day, walking around Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. I don't understand, oh, the genders here, they treat each other differently, religion is different here, tradition means something else, music means something else, science means something else. And these things all flow into everything yeah, that I'm doing. Yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of expanded cinema, a movement from the 60s, mm -hmm. but I also believe in like expanded art, as in everything is flowing in. Mm -hmm. In some way, I find myself too curious. I mean, I could, I could open my computer in the morning and just open the New Scientist page, and I just click on links, and suddenly eight hours later, I've just been reading science articles. Mm -hmm. But I'm not interested just in the proof of something, but oh, maybe that works like that, and then you know, that reflects on things. Mm -hmm. So it's a, you asked what we're, what we're focused on. Yeah. I'm very focused on far too many things, which is not always, <laughs> but they all flow into each other. Yeah. So it's, you know, mm -hmm. and you, you try in the end to the find the essence process. of what's happening mm -hmm. and to present, like mm -hmm. we did today, the essence, I think, in a way, of this project that I did for four years in Kazakhstan on Central Asia. And so that's why I'm very happy about it, to have brought Robert in and us got to work together and then this video and this whole thing that we did is somehow like a kind of a result. It's not QED, it's not a scientific proof, but it's a kind of a result. It's like a poetic essence. That's yeah. what I'm I look for poetry in science. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I find it, sometimes yeah. not. And one other, other like, um, question that I uh, raise is when you look at this project also, is like, um, in a way, I don't know, like, just correct me if I'm wrong, like, it raises awareness of the situation as well, of like what's happening, and those glaciers are like melting, and it's not only happening in this place, it's happening all over, all over the world. And um, I was wondering if this, so I was wondering if this, if you had been involved in, in some other projects like, like this? So this, this project was the first, I'd say, big project that I did that, that had maybe ecological or climate change concerns. And it came about, as I said today, by accident. I was invited to do something and then I became artistic director of a festival without having planned it. Um, but I always felt that there must be a way to communicate issues that are happening in the world in a better way than just a science article. And I, as scientists, you know that there are congresses all over the world where people all meet, it's always the same people and they always have their results. But nobody, no kids read this thing, they don't read it. So it was an attempt to actually make people more aware of something that's happening in the world. 
And as a brief aside, in Central Asia, it's even more precarious, the melting, because it leads to war between these countries. These four countries, they don't really like each other yet. Mm. They're new republics. They are looking for their identity. And it leads to war between them. The water's flowing here. They need the water for this. They want to build a dam for hydroelectricity. They say, if you build a dam, we'll attack you. So it's even more dangerous, let's say, mm. than all the other. Well, it becomes like a yeah. political... Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was the first time that I did something on that scale, that uh-huh. big. And it was very experimental. I see everything I do is experimental. Mm-hmm. You know, you see what happens. You try to get a result, but I don't say it failed or it didn't fail because I look for exactly this result. I'm sure I raised awareness a bit, mm-hmm. but I didn't save the glaciers. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So it should yeah. be. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an attempt. I mean, after that, we did another project. I invited Robert to Colombia for another project mm-hmm. called Sinfonia Tropico, mm-hmm. which is about biodiversity in Colombia, because Colombia and Peru are the most biodiverse countries in the world. And so we did a similar, very, very different, mm-hmm. but with a similar, a similar intention. For me, intention is actually mm-hmm. everything you do in art. The intentionalism is not just the result or the display of a, of a result mm-hmm. or of a, of a performance. It's the intention behind it, that you feel the intention behind it, to involve people. That's what I like doing. So is it, um, I don't know, like the, the fulfillment or like the, uh, the feeling that you have after like, achieving like, the one, this, this project is... Is it different to your more like more regular, not that like for socially me involved? For or? me, it's completely different mm-hmm. in a way. I mean, I was always somewhat socially involved in the sense that I always thought art should be. I had certain aims, like my previous project, Rechenzentrum. The aims were as well. Everybody should get enjoyment from it. I studied film theory, so if you studied film theory, I'm sure you see some references in my work that mean something. But if you haven't studied film theory, you should still get. It's not an exclusive. It's everything I do is inclusive. I try to make it inclusive art. Um, but after some years of thinking, okay, as we were speaking before, performing on the same festivals and same circuit in rich Western cities, I really wanted to expand mm-hmm. and to discover something new and to see something new and also to, to do something in areas that don't always have this kind of art. And maybe there are some people in Kazakhstan who are interested in this, but nobody ever goes there. And so that was a fulfillment for me to actually go to places like that. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you also can, I mean, that it's a big word, I say, but you also can change life of people because I remember when I was a teenager and I saw certain things. I, I saw uh, when I was, I don't know, 10, I saw uh, the passion, Matteo's passion, wie heißt das? Matthew's passion. Matthew's passion by oh. Pasolini. Yeah. And I saw it with my brother on TV, and we both were completely, well, <laughs> completely shocked by it. Uh, not only by the pictures, but the way Pasolini uh, used uh, music mm-hmm. in his films. And the, uh, because uh, I'm Catholic, and uh, I, I saw a film about Jesus, but then he used gospel and some African music, and I was th- that was put, made a big shock in me and later I saw some concerts when I was 17 or something which had a big big impact mm-hmm. on me and changed completely my view on uh, on my creative uh, on my creative life and I, I hope that we in some shows we trigger the same you know uh, uh, I hope that in in some shows and especially with the glacier music and with the Sinfonia Tropico that we actually can not only not making like a sort of awareness but like really grabbing certain people really like it's not it's not just it's not just a thing it's it, it has something to do with you 
I, I experienced that when uh, when I was when I was a kid, and I hope I can like to do reach this. To yeah, uh, reach, in the reach, same, the same way. reach other mm -hmm. people too. Yeah, sure. I mean, I grew up in in Ireland in the seventies, and it was quite a very 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 conservative country, and I wasn't very happy there at all. My mother was a painter, but she wasn't allowed to exhibit because her paintings were immoral and the stuff. Sounds like GDR in the 80s. In a way it was GDR without the communists, without the flag, but but different. But I, I didn't enjoy it at all. But I remember that I met one person in the cantina of my school who was like an old French guy who was doing some film stuff. And I think now he's probably a homeless person, I realized many years later, he's probably homeless. But he had been like an intelligent guy who'd been doing stuff in France. And he just like took me more or less and like you know showed me lots of things are possible in the world and you can do this and this is a video camera in those days they were this big and everything and I was like oh maybe I can actually do some of this stuff and and he completely influenced me and everything I do I think like without this guy I don't know what I would have done so in some way when I travel around also I think like maybe we open some things and I'm not saying I saved Ascot Ascot doesn't need saving he's already a master in his country but now he's listening to completely different music than he was before. And maybe that will f uh, flow into his teaching in Kyrgyzstan. Maybe that's a good thing. I maybe hope not. not. Exactly. <laughs> we don't know. No idea. Maybe you know, Robert Lipok's music will be what they learn there. and No more Kavus. No, but you know, everything you do, you try to do something good. I mean, mm -hmm. you, try to, you try to improve things, I think. And yeah. But that doesn't sound like Mother Teresa, even though I don't think she was always improving things. But well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you do these things and you just try yeah. to... And for me, it was about expanding things. For me, life is like an essay. I love the idea of Jean-Luc Godard said, oh, every one of his films is just like an essay. And I always love that idea. It's, it has no real beginning, no end. It's just like a portrait of what I'm thinking at this moment, what I'm doing at this moment, where I am. Things happen by accident. We know that. Mm -hmm. You can plan your life, but it doesn't ever work out like that. I moved to Berlin for like you know, a few weeks. And then the war came down, I thought, oh, I'll stay a few weeks longer, it might be interesting, and now I've been there for 26 years. Yeah. You know, that, and so I wouldn't have met him. Mm -hmm. It's always by accident, yeah. and accidents happen. Mm -hmm. You try to, like a stream, you try to like form it, shape it into, uh, better things happen. Yeah. For you, Lilivan, what was more the, the most challenging part of recording? Technically, like, one, one big challenge was getting onto the glacier, mm -hmm. because when there's thunder and lightning, you're not allowed to be in the glacier. Okay. You have to get off the glacier uh -huh. very, very quickly, because there's lightning, everybody in the glacier would probably die. And we had thunder and lightning the first two days that we were there, so that was we thought we can't record. And then we got onto the glacier, and then we discovered that during daytime the glacier is incredibly loud. There are thousands of rivers in the glacier. The rivers are sometimes just this deep. So like thousands, they're like here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one, and it sounds like an incredibly loud industrial complex. It's not the quiet, nice glacier at nighttime. Completely mm -hmm. silent. Daytime, it's wow. incredibly loud. And then we discovered, of course, the further you lower a microphone mm -hmm. into one of the cracks, you get different sounds, you get different resonances. So we recorded hundreds of sounds. But, I mean, it was challenging, sure. It was challenging. But yes. we were all very dizzy as well, because it's very high. Oh, you okay. go up and you have to oh. take a break in the middle and spend one night in the middle to acclimatize. But some of us didn't acclimatize mm -hmm. as fast as others. Coming from Berlin, where we're on zero meter sea level, that was a, a big climb. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, first, uh, first I was listening to the recordings because I was, I was curious. Uh, I did some work with Stoke Aitken, this visual artist. Uh, to Rocco Corot, my mm -hmm. band made a uh, made a soundtrack for one exhibition at the Serpentine Gallery, and he was uh, he was filming in the Ar Antarctic uh, some stuff, and I um, and. Uh, it was uh, he. He captured some sounds. I w wasn't really aware that ice would do it. So uh, 
And when 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 I got the recordings from Lillivin, I was really like curious to understand. Uh, he uh, Lillivin just said, uh, so there's so much water in mm -hmm. the glacier. You would think like a glacier is a piece of ice and. It maybe does some crackles here and there because it's like moving and breaking, but uh, because of uh, like the daily routine of sunlight coming up, but also the climate change, this uh, this this the structure is uh, constantly changing. So uh, you have a lot of uh, you have a, a lot of liquidy sounds like rivers and dro drops and stuff, but also this like moving moving ice which which depends on 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 the weight uh, you have an usually on a glacier you have a sort of angle so that the material uh, is uh, transports itself but also on on on, on temperature so i was uh, i was astonished how because they they done it uh, they done the recording in a uh, with professional microphones done by uh, a, a lady from the French radio and so you had all these sounds with a really profound frequency spectrum you have maybe some it's a, first when you hear them they sound like some bubbles but when you hear them on on uh, on a good sound system they have like these deep tones so that was maybe my my apart from the overall uh, concept that was my approach to uh, to create the music so listening and trying to understand okay i can take this i can take maybe push the frequencies here and there and uh, um, develop uh, my my uh, musical composition from 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 that However, I think there's a certain inevitability to the sound of the planet changing. Mm -hmm. And what I would more encourage than trying to necessarily protect things or forbid sounds, mm -hmm. I would certainly encourage people to learn to listen more. I think the, uh, if you learn to listen more, as John Cage is like organizing sounds, mm -hmm. I mean, there's an incredible world of sound out there. And it really doesn't often matter if it's the streets and the tram or if it's the jungle in, in, in Colombia or mm -hmm. the else. But I think that people many people, probably everybody, us included, forget to listen properly or forget to look properly. I mean, there's so much there. I think there's a certain inevitability. I try to fight the inevitability in some things. For example, in Colombia, it's inevitable that if the peace process gets signed, that mining companies and oil companies will come and they will you know, start their business there. It's an irony of war that where the guerrillas were in Colombia, mm -hmm. there's no oil mining, so they kept their biodiversity. It wasn't their main thing, but they kept it. So things are inevitable, but that doesn't mean that we all have to suffer under it. I think you can still learn to listen. You can also learn to block out sounds and not to see things or to see things more. So I think more about education, about dealing with how you perceive yourself mm -hmm. and your environment and other people is where I would focus more mm -hmm. than saying the, the sound is forbidden. Maybe Robert has other thoughts and disagrees with you completely. No, no, no. No, but... Uh, but I think uh, technology and uh, and human behavior is part of of our world. Is is now uh, is uh, I think you can't divide mm -hmm. nature, mm -hmm. technology, yeah. and humans. Uh, the the uh, 
the borders are shifting so also the the acoustic world is is merging and of course it's interesting to see what what's developing developing there and uh, this one guy was asking me about my sound archive and I, I I don't have a archive but sometimes I think there are sounds which are which should be recorded there was one demonstration uh, I witnessed in Rome uh, I don't know six years ago and I heard it I, I couldn't see the people but I but I heard like uh, I heard like shouting I heard like some communist songs but I heard some folk songs I heard some things I couldn't recognize and I thought what is this what what the hell is going on here it's like is I can't I really can't imagine what is going on then and then this demonstration came towards me and I saw it was like uh, 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 a, ref a, a, a demonstration of refugees from all over the world, basically, like from Afghanistan and and from India and and from Albania, and they they had they had some issues which were uh, which connected them, but also some some local or some issues only for them. So there, it was like a totally mixture of melodies uh, and. Um, and and uh, and cultures, mm -hmm. and I think that was when I saw it. I thought like, oh wow, this is like, this is. It's such an incredible just a sound because it's when I never heard something like that before because you never have people from so different cultures, like being being angry and shouting and singing because they're also celebrating, and uh, I think that's the. It's it's that's also like a like one part of of uh, of our living on our planet now. It's like uh, these sounds re representing as as a thunderstorm sound or as a sound of uh, a crackling ice uh, presenting everyday life on planet planet Earth. So they should be preserved and uh, carefully listened to. And yeah, the very last one, uh, this year theme for Unsound is dislocation. So what would be an image of dislocation for, for you? Being in Berlin at the moment, because uh, I have some, for me the city is so different to what I experience now, is that I feel really dislocated. I really feel not, I am always asking myself, Am I wrong, or is this the outside wrong? I, I'm I'm not sure. So, being in Berlin mm. is the hundred percent dislocation for me. Have you lost a little bit of connection with the city in a way? Yes, because uh, because of the development mm. in terms of money and construction is getting rather fast, and I see so many wrong mm -hmm. things so now i feel like but you know something yeah, yeah. yeah I, I feel like mm -hmm. this is like this is not my city anymore i feel like yeah, i mean I, 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 this location is also a positive feeling because when uh, when the wall came down and there were were so many different developments and uh, from from communist to 
post-war, uh, uh, there were so many like crazy things going on and so many good things. Uh, and I felt dislocated there too, but uh, but now I feel that uh, the economical situation for a lot of people is getting much much more difficult and and it's just it's just this uh, it's like it's losing its identity i find the dislocation for me at the moment is less to do with unsound in kyrgyzstan or central asia i didn't find that very dislocated mm -hmm. i find that like an adventure what i find a dislocation at the moment is what we were talking about just before we met you is about a lot what's happening in let's say the Western world at the moment of what we thought these are values that will continue and they're going, oh, things don't actually always continue. So, for example, the Brexit vote in England for them, so many people just thought like, what the hell happened? We never thought that could happen. Mm -hmm. Then I went to uh, New York at a show there with very old friends of mine, like when I mean old, like old people, like 80-year-old, like musicians mm -hmm. and great people. And they're like, what the hell happened? Like suddenly half our country wants to support this guy. And so they just don't understand what's happening. I don't understand either. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Colombia where there was a referendum for the peace process. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. everybody was like, yeah, it's going to be great. We mm -hmm. signed it in Havana and now we've got peace. So what? More than half of the people said like no to peace. What's happening in our world? Yeah. And it's a very interesting feeling that we have at the moment. Mm -hmm. you know, well, after something like you know George Bush and then we had Obama, well, obviously no one's going to vote for this guy, Trump. But a few months ago, more than 50% were for him. And like in England, more than 50% were for Brexit. So I yeah, I've got to actually question what I think is my... Mm, location, yeah. just to quote you, yeah. my location in the world, in our value system, in where we're going, what the future is, and that mm. many other people mm. see very differently. That's very mm. interesting for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, mm. it's sort of not always positive. Some of the things that are happening I find quite negative. But, but I mean, yeah. the world's been around for however many millions of years. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of forces of, of power that are still trying to keep things in one direction. And the other people mm. that I would say probably we in this room are like trying to move in this direction, like towards a more pluralistic mm -hmm. or tolerant. But I mean, in Colombia, I was really shocked. And yeah, I have this yeah. festival there and I have all these people who work for this festival that have become friends in two years. And they were all just crying. They just, they just, when the yeah, no yeah. vote came in, well, they were like yeah. crying and they all have a story. Like one guy's mother was kidnapped by the FARC and mm -hmm. then she came out after two years. She died one week later, you know, because of the, the yeah. shock. And he lost his wife and his family because of this. And another guy, she lost some people. She thought if they signed this peace process, mm -hmm. she can find out where the bodies are buried of her family. And they're like, wow. but they voted no. And you sort of see, I mean, if it's dislocation, that I didn't think mm -hmm. that our skin is so thin that if you just scratch the skin yeah. of a human being, no, suddenly, like, oh, there's an animal underneath there. Mm -hmm. We saw it in the Yugoslav war as well. Yugoslavia was a very developed and very civilized country with a great yeah. intelligence and everything. And suddenly, so quickly, they went to the most barbaric yeah. ways of yeah. terrible yeah. stuff. So no, it makes you know, think that like the, the whatever like you you walk over like like it sometimes can crumble sure. and mm -hmm. all I mean, these values. Yeah. Yeah. What you were saying before, all the, all these values that we thought they were so mm -hmm. so strong, so Europe. We belong to a European mm -hmm. community, and we we've. We have like this like Lahaya laws that protect us and wow, mm -hmm. that that can be just just sure. disappear. It's a kind of illusion we gave in... ourselves, and it's understandable. When I was in Yugoslavia a lot after the war, and I was teaching there a little bit in Serbia and Croatia, and in Serbia, I remember these students told me like, "Oh, you'll see, the same will happen with Europe. We give you ten, fifteen years." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" So like, we call it the Balkanization of Europe because you're also you're all these countries stuck together, but you don't really feel comfortable. Like, what does Greece have to do with Norway? 
of Poland have to do with like you know, Portugal or something. They have a very different cultures. They pay more, they pay mm-hmm. less, they're richer, they're poorer. You're, you're going yeah. to fall apart in 10, 15 years. It's like Zizek had this theory like, yeah. 15 mm-hmm. years ago. And now you suddenly see like Brexit out and Ireland and then right. Turkey in or Turkey scary. out. And, <laughs> well, it's scary. No, but it's scary, but, no, it's not scary, but what, what, what it means. That, like, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I feel also like mm-hmm. my first it's instinct like is scary. scary. Like, just like a little bit like, whoa. When, sure. you, when you lose a little bit your references, no? It's, it's, yeah, it's, but it's the same as if you're like walking home and think, oh, I'm more drunk than I thought I was. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't be on my bicycle, maybe I should walk. It's just moment you think like okay and then you think for me anyway okay it's a big challenge and now it's the time that people i think you have a brain and have mm-hmm. a conscience now it's time for us all to switch yeah. on our brains and actually fight for a better more pluralistic more tolerant place and not just oh my god what's happened like right. oh trump yeah. <laughs> but also guess like artistic uh, uh expressions are also very very important mm. i don't know just to give a view and well, one hopes so, but that's also maybe what Robert was saying before. Mm-hmm. One reason why we do these kind of projects that we want to reach more people than just the people mm-hmm. who are in the museum mm-hmm. in Berlin or this festival there, this festival there. I think in some ways the struggle that I find the biggest is not that I want, I don't want to make art that tells people what to think or what to do. I would love to be able to make art that tells people learn to think for yourself, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, inform yourself more, mm-hmm. but also learn to analyze stuff more and, and yeah. look at these things like whatever Brexit and all this stuff and see like. That doesn't make any sense. Instead of just going emotionally with it, yeah, that's sort of difficult. It's like a long struggle, and I don't think I can save the world right yet. <laughs> yeah, but that's the kind of thing. I mean, it's no point telling people what to think either, because then they have two points of view. Which do you agree with? But learn to think for yourself. And I have yeah. a trust that if people could really learn to think better, analyze science, analyze facts more, look at statistics, or look at somebody who's talking like somebody like Trump, who's obviously a fucking idiot, who should never be a president, but to think like you know, I can't vote for this guy, not just to tell him. That. Hoping our conversation makes you reflect on the problematic issues we are facing in this challenging time and how artists can question our perception. 